BBC Sounds. So before you listen to your podcast, do something bit different. Yep, listen to the most petty and ill-informed podcast available. It's off the ball. It's on BBC Sounds. From BBC Radio Scotland. Bringing you the biggest names in Scottish rugby. This is quite incredible! Shining a light on the Scottish game. This is the BBC Scotland Rugby Podcast. Right, welcome to part two of our series with our own Peter Wright. If you didn't catch part one, Peter's memories of his playing career, then go back and listen to that. Some fascinating stuff about Peter's career with Scotland, with the Lions, and uh, some great stories from uh, the old days of rugby, shall we say. But That's when, 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 when men were men. <laughs> But when it all came to an end, Peter, I mean, you were only 30 when you yeah. had to hang up the boots. That that clearly would have been before you were you had been planning to, to call it a day. Yeah, I mean, I was going to play rugby till I was 50. You know, you had all these old Crocs games, golden oldies. I was <laughs> going to be doing all of that. And then uh, I remember I was on tour with Scotland in 98 to Australia and we were training in Melbourne on, the, on where they have the Grand Prix. There's two rugby pitches just where the pit lane is, there's two rugby pitches, and I stood in a hole. I had problems with my knees, but I stood in a hole and I'd done something to my knee, and I ended up getting a cortisone injection. And when I came back, within six months, the cortisone obviously wears off, and I was having so many problems with my knees. Professional at that time, uh, going into sort of 99, and uh, eventually went to see a surgeon, the, the late Jim Hay, who was great, one of our great surgeons at the SRU had, uh, just a real character. Just a real character. It was Jim. He would, he would mark the long. If you're going for an operation, you'd put the ink on the wrong leg and stuff like that. And you're like, Jim, it's my, it's my left leg that's getting operated on. And he's, the, and he's like, is it? Oh, that's right, because you'll be upside down. So you'd be the other. And you're just like, holy it's my left. Well, you weren't sure if he was being. Tra- so he eventually said, Luke, when I was thirty, he said, Luke, here, here's the scenario. If you keep playing, we can tidy your knee up. But if you keep playing, you're going to need a new knee by the time you're forty. And. Um, but if you don't, you'll you'll be fifty by the time you need a new knee. So, wasn't really enjoying pro rugby at that time. I don't think we grasped it particularly well, Scotland. No. We 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 went pro far too quickly. Uh, so he says, look, you've got a decision to make. You could retire. That's what I would suggest you should do. I'm thirty years old. I'm like, you know, I've still got four or five years left. And it was at Ross Hall in Glasgow. And I remember going into the into the car, jumping at the car. And Bursting into tears oh. again, you know, that was the sort of first time as a as a, an ex player because I knew how that was me done, and I was like, what, what do I do now? What do, you know, I was a blacksmith to trade. Do I go back and be a blacksmith? And but I'd done a bit of coaching. I'd, I'd always done when we went on Scotland tours. I'd always done little bits. I loved going out and coaching the kids, and and I'd done bits and pieces for clubs for Last Way and for Burnham Muir. I'd done bits, and I, I really enjoyed it. And I thought, you know what, that that's that's possible. What, there was. Did, had you worked as a blacksmith? A blacksmith, I was about 26, and then I went professional. So the guy I worked for uh, was a guy called Vic Ross, who said the doors always open. He was a great great sports guy, he was a big Hearts fan. Just about everybody that worked for them was into sport. They either played football or golf or rugby or whatever. That was an option. It was not an option I wanted to take, but it was an option because mm-hmm. I wanted to get into coaching. There was a lot of DO jobs going around, development officer jobs going around at that time, so I thought I'll get into development officer then I'll build up and, and, and eventually coach Scotland. That was the, the ultimate the ultimate goal for me. So, yeah, so there was opportunity. So I did go back and do a little bit of blacksmithing for a few months and I went for a couple of... I went for a DO job in the Borders. Didn't get that because Greg Oliver, who's an 
ex Hoyt scrum half. Munster, actually working with Munster now, works with yep. the young players there. Uh, he got that job because he was for Hoyt, and then his job came up in Dumfries and Galloway, and I applied for that, and I got that job. Uh, and, and done that for four or five years, loved it. Moved down to Dumfries and Galloway, brilliant. So that, that's what got me into that bit of the coaching. And then I started doing some club coaching with... Um, Murrayfield Wanderers, that was the, my first club. Well, when I was still playing, still contracted, I coached Burham, your seconds, and we went the season unbeaten. We won 11 out of 11 to go unbeaten. And the great Arthur Ross, a very famous Burham, your guy, who again, sadly, no longer was. He was my manager. And I was a raw coach, but I just loved it, my enthusiasm. And that same year, Burham, you got relegated from the, the Premiership. So the first got relegated, and then... The second team went unbeaten, you know, eleven out of eleven, and, and that really gave me the kind of appetite for um, for coaching. And then Murray Wan- Murrayfield Wanderers came in and, and offered me a, a gig, and um, that, that was. And you never looked back. Never looked back. Yeah, <laughs> well, I, once or twice, but tried to keep looking forward all the time. Hard but fair. Yeah, you I like, like to, to see uh, yourself. Yeah, I like to think I was pretty honest as a coach. People always ask, "Who do you coach? Who do you take your coaching sort of ethos from?" I was every single coach I worked with. You know, Bruce Hay was a big, a big influence. Richie Dixon, Ian McGeekin, Jim Telfer. But you, you done the good things and the bad things. So the bad things that you believed that coaches were doing, you tried. So, for example, we would uh, we would sit in. So I was captain at Burham Ewer. We would sit in selection, and we would talk about players. And then that player, so we maybe drop a player, and that player would come to me and say, "Why am I dropped?" And I say, "Well, this is why you dropped. This is what we talked about yeah. in selection." And then someone in that selection committee came up to me once and says, why are you telling the players that? He says, because that's what we talked about. That's what we... Uh, yeah, but the player doesn't need to know that. I says, well, the player needs to know what he needs to do better so as he can improve that, so as he can then get back in the first... Oh, no, that's not the way. And that, that really opened my eyes, so I've always been really... So you really had to honest. be honest with the player. We played against Wales in, in 94. A really wet day at Cardiff and Ian Morrison broke his leg. Mm. Um... I got dropped after that game. We were playing England two weeks later and Bill Hogg, who was the secretary of the SRU, phoned me at home to say, oh, you've been dropped. And, and I'm like, well, why? He says, well, I don't know. I'm just the secretary. I, I never picked the team. And I'm thinking, oh, really? Okay, so but I went to... So you're still invited to the training session. So I went to the training and there were five selectors and I asked three of the selectors why was I dropped? And three of them said, I wanted you in the team. <laughs> and I'm like, well, why am I not in the team? Of three out of the five. I said, can't work out this maths here. <laughs> yeah, so this is, so this is one. So this always stuck in my mind about being honest with people and, and saying, well, this is why. Because all I, I was not going to give them a hard time for not being in the team. I just wanted to know what I needed to do to become part of the team again. And, and that, so that, that always stuck in my mind. So I always believed when I'm a coach, I'm going to be as honest. And whether the player likes it or not, I'm going to be dead honest. All things were pointing towards you. Going to the top level, do you think that honesty away from the playing side <laughs> of things perhaps yeah. was Absolutely. what prevented yeah, you getting yeah. there? I, I learned too, well, not too late because I kind of always knew. Because Bruce Hay, again, one of my mentors, he was he was basically similar, he was a very honest guy and it affected him. He never coached higher than Scotland B, and, and the reason he didn't coach higher is because he refused to coach players that he didn't get to pick. Because in those days, the coaches didn't pick the team, the team was picked by selectors, committee. And then the two coaches were given the team. And I remember I'm coaching Scotland B, maybe. And he was like, well, those four guys don't deserve to be in the team. And they're like, well, you, you will coach them because that's the team. And Bruce was like, no, that's just not for me. So he walked away. So that, that was, I think, I knew that you had to be political. Hmm. But I'm rubbish at being political. I, I just, I just, I'm rubbish at schmoozing people. Just, I have to tell, because if I don't tell how it is, I forget what I've said to people. 
and then I, I, I contradict myself sometimes, whereas I just tell the truth. Because I don't, my opinion doesn't change that often in what I think of people. It generally, is so there. so did you get disillusioned then, knowing that you had to be political and you weren't political? You didn't want to be political. I, I didn't because I believe my coaching was so good that I would get there purely on my coaching ability. And then I was informed by a member at SRU who said, it's nothing to do with your coaching. I said, why am I not getting these jobs? You know, I was told by I told by the chief executive for one of them that we're going to put you to one team and we're going to move Sean Lennon to another team. Uh, and then somebody stepped in and, and blocked that. Um, this would have been the Edinburgh job at that yeah, stage. Yes, no, that that. so they were going to put me to Glasgow and they were going to move Sean from Glasgow to Edinburgh. Right. This was right. the sort of one, and then that kind of got blocked, and then went for the Edinburgh job again, and I, again that got blocked, and I think Blackadder went in. So, the, so there was there was opportunities there, but then I found I found out not much later that there was a one particular person at Murrayfield who was who was. Um, Probably not not on my side and didn't want me to. And, I, and again, it was not because of my coaching; it was because of things I'd said on the radio. You know, the, the right. you know when I started doing the radio in '99, you know, I was still working for the SRU. That it was a do. Jim Mason got me into BBC. I was the same radio then as I'm now. You know, I'm very honest and I had to be true to myself. I mm. couldn't not. I, I couldn't be political on the radio because it just wouldn't be me. Yeah. And I was I was being. Uh, I've been invited onto the radio to to give comment, true comment about, and it was never personal. You know, I didn't I didn't criticise players because of who they were. I, I, I criticised or or gave them, you know, plaudits when they were good. It wasn't just criticising all the time. There was loads of positive stuff as well. Everyone thinks it's all negative, I yeah, do, yeah. but it's not. There's loads of positive stuff. But what people don't seem to understand is they seem to think it's a. Especially people within the SRU, their attitude is you should be talking up Scottish rugby and you should be talking up players and. Well, yeah, if they do the right things, we'll talk everything up. But if they're doing the wrong things, then you've got to... You know, I get paid to give voice in a, a professional opinion. And if that opinion's a negative one, then I feel as though I have to do that. And I, and I don't want to be one of these guys that's just talking everything up. When people who watch it, who know the game, are watching it going, hang on a minute, Player yeah. X has been hopeless, yet he's, he's actually yeah. said it's had a good game. Well, you'd hate yourself if you did that. Yeah, yeah. That, not that you would ever do it, but that's not you. Well, the people I went around with that time were all pretty knowledgeable with rugby, so they, they listened to it, and they, they would have been right on my back saying, well, Player X was absolutely useless. You said he was quite good. <laughs> so that, that was my kind of, that was the way. I, and, and I remembered when I first started doing the radio, um, you know, I've never done it before, and, and Jim Jim Mason he was, he was a great guy. He wasn't the most organised guy in the world. <laughs> he was Jim, the old producer, Jim, producer of the shows at the Jim time. Would, Jim Wonders. We love Jim. He was, he, oh, he's oh, a great man. He's a fantastic guy. Man, he gave yeah. me that opportunity, but uh, Bill, the, Bill Johnson was the, the commentator. commentator. And, yeah. I, and I remember... Legend. And all of Bill, you know, kind of sitting down with Bill and saying, right, what do you, you, know, what do, you do? What, what, what do you need? He says, three things, big man, three things. He says, rugby knowledge, controversy, humour. Yeah. <laughs> so if you can bring those three into yeah. your commentary, you'll, you'll do pretty well. Yeah. And, and I think over the 23, 24 years I've been doing this, I think that's what I've done. A bit of humour, loads of controversy, and I, and I think my rugby knowledge is every, every single commentary, those yeah, three things much. come out. Brings them all to the max. But this is the, and, this is, and this is what... And, and so you're doing all that. So at the same time, I'm working as a DO... I'm working. I'm employed by the SRU. I'm doing the radio. Now we had to get permission. I had to get permission to do radio. So because it was a secondary job, part of our contract said so you must get permission for line management. And generally they were okay, but they, they they blocked me from doing the. We covered the World Cup final in Paris in 2007. Would that have been 2007? Yes. Yeah, 2003 yep. was Australia. Yep. 
2007, a member of the my my line management staff, I asked for permission to do this. We, we did cover that final, and I was told, nope, you can't do it. Right. And that really, I was really bitter about that because yeah. I thought to myself, because at that time I kind of knew that I, I might you be struggling. Going any higher a, in the coaching coach, game, you know, yeah, I was yeah, maybe yeah. going to struggle because people were saying it's not your coaching because you're a really good coach. It's just what you've been saying about people on the radio and players are a little bit, you know, they're not, some players have made complaints about what you've said about them and, and I'm like, okay, fair enough, but that's, you're, you're telling I, that, you're giving an opinion, it's, if they're I that worried. I, I remember one of the first times I worked with Wrighty and you were having a bit of a rant about a referee, surprisingly I'm enough. Stunned. Stunned. Uh, I know. <laughs> but you said, this referee, honestly, this referee is a mutt, and you were going to say, Muppet, right? And then you paused and then just said, he's a Muppet. <laughs> I, thought, I thought he was not going to say it, but he's just carried on and said it. <laughs> I mean, I'm so, I'm so he got to the edge one. of the cliff, took a breath and then dived right off. I was thinking, how, how badly is that, is that a swear word? It's, uh, yeah, and, and my argument's always been that they're part of the, they're part of the entertainment, they're part of the game. So if, if we can praise and criticise players, then we have to be allowed to praise and criticise and, I, and to be fair, I have praised referees. You have yep. over the years, no, not often as maybe I should, but I have. I have a note of every time <laughs> you've you've praised the referee. It's about a quarter of the page <laughs> over twenty years plus. But they do, and they do influence. You know, they do influence games massively. So that that's why I believe I've got that right to do it. And, and I, I, try, I do get, I do go over the top a little bit, which is unfair. But you know, I'm passionate about it, and, it's, mm. and it is an entertainment business as well we're in. So, so yeah, so that was the. That was the frustrating thing about the coaching, mm. was that I was a good coach. I had a real success. I mean, every club I've been involved in, apart from Burnham Ewer, which was my, my sort of the club that I wanted to have success with, although we, we, we didn't get relegated in the three years, which were actually with the sort of squarry players we had was, was, was probably an element of success. But, you know, I won championships with Hawks. Murrayfield Wanderers won a championship, got two promotions. Hawks, two championships. Selkirk, a championship. Peebles, a championship. I'm currently coaching at GHK. We, we won the championship last year. So, you know, I have brought success. Because, you know, I've just got that kind of... I've been lucky. Sometimes with the group of players that you've got at each club has just been maybe there at the right time. Do, how do you coach. stop yourself from being bitter at not getting... Uh, a bigger job, say Edinburgh, Glasgow. Yeah, I suppose ten years ago I was pretty, but I, I, I don't know. I just, I just kind of got stuck into club coaching and just decided yeah. that I'm going to give this the best shot. I'm going to have success, yeah. and, and I've done that. You know, I, I think I was counting it up. I've had, I think, last year when we we got promoted and won the championship with GHK. I think that was my tenth promotion stroke championship, wow. uh, and I've had two relegations. So yeah. got relegated with Hawks. And I got relegated with Selkirk, so we were up. So that was why last week's game against Stirling, because we could still get relegated, but we won last week, which meant I didn't get relegated on my last season as a coach. <laughs> so yeah, I just got stuck into club coaching and realised there's no. Yeah, you know, I was bitter for a lot while. Then I thought there's no point in being bitter. You know what's the point? I can bump into these guys, and I have. I've bumped into these guys, and we've had massive arguments, and I've said to these guys, I dislike them immensely. Um, and, and they don't like me, and, and that, that's fine. I, I can get on with that. I don't have an issue with that. They don't. They don't. I don't lose any sleep over it. I'm pretty sure they don't lose any sleep over me not liking them. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with disliking someone. You know that. That's just part. You can't of get on with everybody, right? Exactly. You can and I, and I feel as though I, I do feel as though I've been slightly hard done by um, a little bit through my own fault because maybe I have said things that I should have maybe not said. But I've been true to myself. That, that's mm. the, that's the key for me. I can wake up in the morning and feel. You know what I'm. 
You can look yourself in the mirror and go, what a handsome man you are. <laughs> <laughs> He's got a picture of Burt Reynolds instead of the mirror that he looks at every morning. But it says a lot about how much you love rugby, that that would have been the easiest thing in the world to say, do you know what, my journey as a coach is not going any further. It's time to go and find yeah. something else. But here you are, you know, yeah, all these years and, later, and I still going. I think one of, the, one of the weaknesses, so I worked for the SRU, I thought, I, I enjoyed it. You know, I worked as a DO for four or five years then I took over the under 19 programme then I was coaching the 20s and I loved that 19s and 20s you know some of the guys I coached you know you're Fraser Brown uh, Richie Gray Duncan Weir Stuart Hogg so these guys are old guys I mean I'm not saying that what I did with them made a massive difference but it's made a tiny bit of difference you know, to, part uh, of their journey exactly part of the journey and I've never and I've never bragged about that I've, I've said yeah I coached this guy and I've talked about it but there's the, been the, many times you've kind of dropped that into a commentary and I've thought oh I didn't know he coached <laughs> Hamish Watson yeah, yeah, or, you know yeah. any of these guys you know what is good is that these guys you'll, you'll be in a room and they'll come and talk to you, yeah. which is I don't I don't always run up to these guys. What are you doing? I'll just you no. Know, I was on the council for a couple of years um, at the SRU as, as rep for the premiership, which was a real eye opener. Yeah, that was a you could do a podcast on that alone, just the sort of <laughs> things you're having to go through there. But you know, a lot of these guys in the council were as soon as the players came into the. The, the, the dinners that used to go to after internationals, they were all up to them and shaking hands and patting them on the back. And I just kind of sat out of the road because as a player, you don't. I don't want to be bothered with it. Cause I hated the committee when I was a player, <laughs> yeah. so I, I always had that at the back of my mind. I think I don't want to go and annoy these guys because all they want to do is a few beers with their mates, the guys they played with, a few beers with the guys they played against. The last thing they want is some old buffy committee guy. Yeah. But, they, but they guys would come to me and say, "Oh, big man, how are we doing? Good to see you." Yeah. So you're Richie Gray's, you're Grant Gilchrist, you're you know David Dent. So all the a lot of these guys that were done with the twenty. Um, and you know, and, and it was there was there was it was good times because there's a lot of good coaches in there as well. They never, you know, Craig Chalmers coached me coached with me for under twenties for a couple of seasons. Great coach, and in the same boat as me because he things it in his personal life. It's not even to touch him. Yeah, he's one. Of, he was one of our best coach. He was he had success after success with Melrose, yeah. and yet they didn't give him a gig uh, at that higher level. And, and the reason I believe one of the reasons one of the weaknesses of the SRU. Is it's it wants to control everything. It wants to control the narrative. It wants to control absolutely everything, and they don't want guys that will stand up to them and, and question them. So when I worked as a, an employee, we had really good meetings because they were they were very um, they got heated because we challenged. You know, you was the chief executive or the head of your department or whoever would be down. You challenge, and we t- to make the game better. But it just seems as all those guys. I look at the SRU now and who's in it and. It looks like all the challengers have kind of gone, and it, it, so and it's it's wrong to say that yes, people are in there, but they don't challenge the same way. They get told how to do it, and then they do it. Whereas in our day, we would go, "Oh, hang on a minute, here, that's that isn't going to work." So, mm. I, I, I thought that was the problem with some with myself and, and Craig is that we would be too, you know, too difficult to manage. But that that would be a potential way to describe it. So, and we don't have a lot of good coaches coming through massive amount of coaches coming through so you've got to give guys the well, opportunity what you, what you have at the moment is you have Steve Diamond who comes in in this kind of overseeing role at Edinburgh yeah. uh, and I'm thinking okay and it's a short, it's short term I'm thinking is there no Scotland coach that can yep. do that and clearly there there is or maybe there is but they one haven't the, got they haven't got the gig yeah, on this one of the criticisms I always had was that we never gave coaches the opportunity to fail in yeah. Scotland, we had coaches there, but we didn't give them. So we brought in Matt Williams, and his first, his first, um, he, he done a session through at uh, Huendon 
with loads of coaches and slagged off all the coaches, saying the reason Scottish rugby is in such a bad state is because of you lot. And everybody went, oh, hang on. So you're trying to engage with us and you're basically blaming Scotland, these guys that are here. And, and you know, and that, and, that, and that started a real kind of people looking back going, hang on a minute here. You know, is, is that what you really think? So they, they started bringing all these foreigners. When I was with the Scotland 20s, Graham Lowe, there's a guy called Graham Lowe who was the performance director. I think that might have been his title. Nice guy, New Zealander, nice guy. He'd been with the World, he'd been with the New Zealand World Cup squad. He'd been a sort of manager in New Zealand for four four years cycle and decent enough guy. And um, I had the under twenties boys all asking me, "Where do I go? You're bringing all these project players in. Um, where do I go to, to to get the the next opportunity?" And I had a meeting with Graham to say, "Look." Where do these guys? Well, they'll have to go abroad, and they'll have to do this, and they'll have to do that. There's no opportunities for them here. And I'm like, but we've got it. You know, we're, we're bringing in journeymen South Africans mm. and journeymen players that you know are, are quite expensive, but they're they're never going to be class world. Why don't we spend all that money on three young Scottish guys? Well, you know, that's just the way world rugby works at the moment. And and I brought up the coaching. I says, yeah, you're doing the same in coaching. You're bringing all these guys. And he said, this is my last year at under twenties. Funny enough, he says to me, <laughs> uh, I says, look, you're bringing all these coaches and we've got some good coaches in Scotland but you're not giving guys a chance and he said you know what and I think he kind of said it as a joke but I took it completely the wrong way and deliberately took it the wrong way mm. he says you know if you're not happy there's the door yeah. and I was like okay I shoved my chair back and thought right I'm taking <laughs> and, I, and he's like where are you going I says well you're obviously saying that there's no place he said you want me to resign now he says no 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 finish out your contract because we're, we're in Cape Town for the, uh, the 20s World Cup so I did, I done my 20s World Cup in Cape Town and then hung my, hung my inter- and that was when I knew that my, my, my time with SRU was, was, was completely done. gone. I was yeah. never going to ever have an opportunity. And it, and it hurt for a while, it hurt for about six months, but then I got any club coaching and just, and just kind of thought, you know what, I'm just going to try and have success and then these guys can... There is one person I want to talk about and that's Doddy Weir, a great friend of yours, a teammate. I've been sat beside you when Doddy came out into the pitch, when his diagnosis was announced, you were emotional. You were in bit... tears, Tom, you can see it, mate. <laughs> you were. Well, you, you weren't yeah. alone. Yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> yeah, it was an incredible um, moment in the it stadium. Was, it was day. one of the most moving moments I can ever remember in any sports stadium anywhere in my career. Tell me about Doddy, because I know it might be tricky. The no, great no, man no. is no longer with us, but very special guy to a lot of people, yourself included. Yeah, he's one of these guys. You don't, you didn't realise how special he was until he contracted MND, yeah. and then, and then all of a sudden, you know, he's not going to be here for ever, and yeah. he potentially is not going to be here for much longer. And that's when it can, even you realise people are, um, I suppose, they're human, they're not indestructible because you always think people are. You yeah. always do, and he just had that ability. He was a great player. First and foremost, he was a great player. But the other ability he had, he was a great squad guy. Sometimes good squad players, good squad guys, are not always great players. David Soule, world-class player, world-class trainer, world-class captain, but probably not a great squad player, quite a shy guy, and probably had maybe three or four really close friends, Ivan Tukolo, Sean Lenin. John Jeffrey were those kind of close buddies and when they all retired he was kind of looking around the changing room whereas Doddy was a great player deserved his place every time all the 60 odd caps he got deserved them deserved his lines tour probably wasn't far away for the test team if he hadn't been brutally assaulted by and that guy must be really hot you know he must feel really bad now because obviously Doddy's become this world icon but Doddy's Doddy's thing was that he was just he just kept the squad going you know he 
you went through, everyone thinks you go on tours and you're in beautiful hotels, beautiful, and yeah, but you're away from home, you miss people. And Doddy was always, you would always look for Doddy's room or just find out where Doddy was and you would just go and you would just sit and listen because he would always say something stupid. It was, <laughs> sometimes it wasn't funny, but it was just silly because it was Doddy and he would act like the daft kid a lot of the time, but he was doing it for a reason. He was doing it because I think he knew that that was a big strength that he had. He was a big outgoing. I think there was a shyness there as well, and this was part of that shyness. It was the key to a lot of good things happening on tours because when you walked away, I watched people walking away from Doddy's company, and even even when he had MND, even you when you watch people walking away from his company, big smiles on yeah. their face. That that was the the measure of the guy, and I think loads of people have said that you could meet Doddy for five minutes and you thought you thought you'd known him all your life. He had that. He had that aura about him, and uh, yeah, and his fifty-two years of life is way better than probably most people left a hundred. Probably haven't put in as much to their life than Dollywood. So he was a, yeah, he was a he was a cracking guy. Cracking he was an amazing guy. guy. Um, you've obviously decided the the coaching is coming to an end. Yeah. Fifty years at the sharp end of the game, as we said earlier, but you're still one of the most beloved broadcasters in the Scottish game. Do you still love it? Do you still get that buzz doing yeah. it as much these days? You know, days? Even, even in coaching, Andy, I still I still get the, the buzz when I'm on the training field. I still get the buzz for the Saturday, that 80 minutes in the Saturday afternoon, encouraging the players to play well, encouraging the referee to get the right decisions. It's still there. It, it's, the, it's the other bits that I just get, I'm getting tired of, you know. And... and this is the bit. This is the bit that I'm struggling with. Is that since I was five years old, Saturday is always a sports day, pretty much. You know, sports day. Initially, when I was younger, it was football. I used to go and watch football with my dad. The Bonnery Groves was on the committee. I used to watch loads of games with the juniors. Loved that. You know, growing up in that junior football environment. Wow, that was an eye opener. You know, going to going to Pollock, going to Ben Burb, going to Shettleston, going to all these. You know, crazy, crazy places. Character building. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Football sense. You know, doing the. I remember at Paul, we played Ben Burbin the Scottish, and Ben Burb played quite close to Govan, quite close to Ibrox. And we were the only game on because of the weather, and they got the ground staff at Ibrox to clear the pitch. And then junior football, they'll have a half time raffle. And so what you do is a kid walks around with this board, and they've chalked the numbers on the board, and you walk around the crowd. And whoever's got the raffle, they tell them who it is and they get their five pounds or their whatever it is, steak pie or whatever it is they win. And my dad, he's on the committee board and he goes, we're playing Ben Bourbon in the Scottish Cup. And the wee kid that, and I was a wee kid at the time, I was only about 10 or 11, the wee guy that was supposed to do it hadn't turned up. So one of their committee guys said, would you do it for a pound? <laughs> says a pound <laughs> you're right it was a pound so I'm walking around so all the Ben so I've walked around the Ben There's, you're talking 5,000 people at this game mm. huge crowd because the junior mm. footballer knows this yeah. so I'm walking around with this board and I've walked past all the Ben Burb fans who are looking at me going that's not the usual guy but no thinking anything about yeah. it just a different guy for Ben Burb that's doing it then I get to the then I get to the board of the Gros fans and they're all going that's big Wally Wrights laddie <laughs> they're like traitor traitor <laughs> Throwing pies and cups of bomber all that. So it was, it was really character building. You used to go to some of these social clubs, like, you know, Camelin, Socky, Whitburn Juniors, you know, Bonner and Grows itself. I used to go into these social clubs. So it was real character building. So Saturday for me has always been about sport, you know, the whole day, a whole Saturday. Then I got into rugby, then I was away playing rugby and then having a few drinks after it. And, and, and that's the way it was. And it's changed. It's changed now. Players don't give us that commitment anymore. And, 
since COVID, but it's happened before COVID as well. Guys would go and do other stuff and not play rugby, and and that's the bit I found that's the bit I found really difficult that that people don't have that same excitement about the game mm. that I do, and, I, and I'm so that that's kind of grew that's kind of pecked away at me for the last two or three seasons. So maybe finally, the scariest opponent you ever played. We'll go back to your playing days. Yeah, Christian Califano. Remember him spitting in my face, which is just kind of what some French players did. Richard Lowe, the famous New Zealand yeah. prop. Richard would when he went in, when we went into a scrum and they bounded, grab the hairs in your oxters <laughs> and try and pull them out. So they're all little things like that. You know, Graham Rowan she came off the bench for his first cap, and the first scrum he came and head butts me the first scrum of the game. So it was all those little things that were just, you know, I was I was not a nice player either. To be fair, I was I was quite a nasty piece of work. But there was there's no, you know, what I love about rugby and that there's I've never experienced somebody who's been out and out dirty. There has been guys out there who have been like that, but I've never experienced that. I've experienced the element of dirtiness and physicality, but no, an absolute, you know, some of the, I mean, even before I played, some of the, the clips, of, you know, guys stamping and mm. kicking guys, and I've never kicked anybody in the head. Deliberately, <laughs> I've accidentally. There's some pictorial evidence. Well, I've accidentally stamped. Yeah, I've stamped. I've never actually put a kick in. It's stamping and I kicking think, slightly different. I, I think the big man needs to needs to do a book. Never mind a podcast. <laughs> I think he does. Listen, Peter, it's been brilliant hearing your stories and running down memory lane with you. And you've packed a lot into your 50 years in the game, but you've still got plenty more left behind the mic with us. Definitely, looking forward to it. Good man. Well Cheers, done, Rizzy. Thank you. listening to the BBC Scotland Rugby Podcast. The Scottish Football Podcast is now published every weekday. In less than 20 minutes, you'll get everything you need to know about what's happening in the world of Scottish football. Just head to BBC Sounds and subscribe to the Scottish Football Podcast.